Hello, all you Giuseppes. This is episode 14 of the Horror Fiends podcast. What the fuck is going on? Uh, I'm your host tonight. My name's John. Uh, I'm joined by my fellow host, Mr. Sauce. How are we doing tonight? Doing good. Not too bad. Excited to talk about some hereditary. I know you're very excited to talk about this one, so it oh, should yeah. be an interesting one. Yep. This is a very important episode, in my opinion, that we needed to uh, to bang out early, and I'm glad that we, we ended up getting that marble that one. I was pretty hyped to see that. Pretty loyal uh, Chris fans out there. Chris will be joining us uh, mid-podcast. We're going to see how that goes. Um, it may not be smooth, or it might be. So, uh, Chris will be joining us to give his thoughts on Hereditary. Just a little background information on this movie. Um, it came out in 2018 and is... Uh, Two hours and seven minutes in length, making it uh, definitely a longer film compared to everything that we've watched so far. Um, for me, this has got to be, in terms of like full watches, this is probably my fourth or fifth full watch of this movie since it came out. And Sauce, this is a first-time watch for you, correct? Yep, another first-time watch for me. Yep. Um, Chris, I believe, did see this one time before, so he was familiar with it. Um but yeah, I mean, I think this is, uh, in I mean, this came out in 2018. This is one of the more uh, memorable Amazon Prime original movies that ever came out. Um, I really don't really know a whole lot of other Amazon Prime movies that were made. I'm actually not entirely sure if this was an exclusive, but I remember I first watched it on Amazon. And I think it was a, a theatrical release as well. Interesting. Uh, so you, you didn't never saw this movie in theaters. This was not a theater watch for me. No, okay. I was late to the train after this one had come out. But gotcha. um, I remember watching the uh, trailer for this when it was being promoted. I remember thinking, ah, this kind of looks like a whatever trailer. Like I was not particularly impressed by the trailer that I watched. Um, and I just remember thinking that it's going to be this movie about this girl um, who. I didn't know who it was at the time, but she clearly has like some sort of like condition or something like that. And there's some sort of evil thing going on by the way, the trailer kind of set up the movie. Um, but for anybody who's watched this, you'll know that it's really not a whole lot about uh, the character, Charlie played by Millie Shapiro. Uh, she was, it, the trailer was kind of like a gigantic red herring of what you thought the movie was going to be. And it gave you something else entirely, which uh, I definitely respect and I'm glad that this movie wasn't what the trailer kind of set it up to be. It stars Tony Collette, who did not get an award for Best Actress, but I remember she is like one of the most common, like our most famous snubs of like an Academy Award for her role as Tony, or I'm uh, sorry, for her role as Annie in this. Yeah, the dad in the movie is played by Gabriel Byrne, and Peter, who I would argue is probably another one of. All these characters are very important. It's these four characters that are probably the most important, um, being Annie, Charlie, Steve, and Peter. And Peter's played by Alex Wolf, who some of you who watched fucking Nickelodeon in the early 2000s might recognize him from the Naked Brothers Band, which was hilarious that they casted him. But um, I was very impressed by his acting and uh, pretty much everybody's acting in this movie. So what else can we get into? I think we should probably just dive right into the movie poster here. Yeah, I think we're good to jump into that. Okay. I got mine pulled up. Yeah. You want so, me to talk about it, what I'm seeing first? Yeah, tell me what you're looking at. All right, we got a nice picture of Annie and Charlie 
Um, I can't tell what they're looking at. It's a little bit small, but it looks like it's one of the like weird doll things that Annie liked to make for her her job. I can't really see. Can you tell, make out what that is or no? Yeah, it's the um, it's like a it's like a paint bottle as a body that is uh, actually. If you really zoom in on it, it's in a kneeling position um, okay. with its arms forward, which some of you may recognize from the end scene in this movie, but it's positioned that way. And the, the head appears to be like a cloth head. I can't tell if it's the bird or not from earlier. It kind of looks like a bird, a bird yeah. head. Um, but let me zoom. So, oh, wait, no, now I can. Now I can. Yeah. You can see it's like bent. It's like kneeling in prayer. Yeah, so it's a little foreshadowed of how yeah. the, the movie ends, which with, I kind of like. Yeah, with a decapitated head, too, nonetheless. Yeah. Um, Annie and Charlie kind of looks like black and white, but their eyes are super blue. Yeah. Um, I can't... That says something. There's some sort of a quote at the bottom, too. Something about family. It says, evil runs in the family, evil which I think is a pretty sick tagline. Yeah. Um, and it's got that, like symbol in front of hereditary with like it looks like a planter or tree with a bunch of leaves falling off yeah um, i don't really know what the significance of that is uh, yeah that from what i've made out that doesn't really have anything to do with the movie unless i'm missing something no i don't think so so i don't um, know i i don't think this is anything too crazy um i definitely think they could have made something a little bit cooler especially how this movie ends um i think they could have made it a little bit more interesting so I will give this one like a a two point seven. Two seven. I like the foreshadowing in it, but yeah. I don't think it's anything too special. Yeah, I think the only thing this one's kind of got going for it is it's got a cool tagline: "Evil runs in the family," and yeah, got a little bit of foreshadowing with a severed head and a, and a sort of like a like a praying body. Um, I think that's neat. But other than that, it kind of leaves a lot to be desired. It's very dark. Yeah, not not particularly interesting to look at. So I I'm think for give this... all the things that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I I'm uh I I'm thinking for this one. I'm just gonna give this one a, a two point zero. Okay, I was gonna say I think with all the crazy shit that happens in this movie, I think they could have done a little bit more there. So yeah, I'm surprised that was. It's a very restrained poster for how fucking wild this movie gets. Yeah, uh, I agree. So yeah, this this is puts us at like a 2.3 aggregate. We'll get Chris's score to see if it changes much, but this is again, a, sort of like a bottom tier, bottom middle slash bottom tier movie poster in terms of our rankings up to this point. But luckily I think for this movie, the, the movie blows out the, uh, the poster out of its fucking uh, proportions in terms of the score. So, but we'll hold off on that for now. This movie opens very interestingly with a uh, sort of like a, camera fake out where we sort of go around the inside of um one of the art rooms of vanny's house we sort of pan left to right we open on the tree house and we sort of look around the interior of this room and we sort of pan to a miniature of the actual house that this is taking place in where the miniatures aren't kept and where annie does her work so it's like a uh, almost exact replica of their current house and we sort of zoom right in to Peter's bedroom from the side. And uh, what I think is a really neat shot where we have, uh, we're introduced to Peter, who is a high school age, like 16 year old kid. Um, and his dad, Steve, um, who's sort of bugging him to get up 
and get going with his day. Um, we sort of are introduced to the fact that they are getting ready to go to a wake for the mother of Peter's mom or Steve's uh, wife, Annie, played by Tony Collette. Um, and she sort of begins, um, well, I should say this movie actually begins on an obituary, sort of introducing the fact that this woman whose name is, uh, Lee, um, has passed on, uh, she was 78 years old and she's, uh, succeeded by the rest of her family. Um, and right away, the relationship between Annie and her mother is introduced as very rocky and almost non-existent where Tony, uh, Tony Collette like sort of admits that she was not particularly close with her mother and she's not really sad that she passed away either. And, um, it's a very, uh, atypical funeral. And immediately we're sort of told that there are people who are attending this funeral that Annie has never seen in her life before. Um, and her mother has been very secretive and for most of her years, um, so yeah, we're sort of that's the opening. That's basically the intro scene is this funeral. I mean, that was it. I was going to say that's it really yeah. for the opening scene. Um, I definitely agree though that the the camera work at the beginning it was pretty just seamless. The transition between the um, what do you even call those things? Like the how would you describe just miniatures of the they're room miniature the sets basically that the director kind of fucks with you, the viewer with. Yeah, I was just going to say that it was like flawless editing from going from those miniatures right into the real room that starts off the opening scene. So I thought that was really well done. And, you know, like you said, um, relationship between Annie and her her mother was rocky. And um, without giving any spoilers at the end, there's all these people that she does not recognize at all. So it was a little bit weird. And um, there's some connections there and there's connections throughout the whole movie that we'll talk about more. Yeah. One other quick note that I caught on this watch actually was that one of the women who are uh, sort of like consoling, like, you know, saying they're giving their respects to the dead body of the grandmother sort of rubs something on the grandmother's lips and you don't see what that is. Right. What, um, what was that? Do you know? We can I don't know. I think it's, on the scene. it's just something that sort of is to make you feel a little bit suspect about what's going on. Like, what yeah, I, I think like right off the rip, it just had you like, what was that? Like what? That's like super disrespectful to right. walk to a dead body and like touch their lips. So that was like right off the rip for my first watch. I was like, what is that? Yeah. And it's weird. Yep. And she has this gigantic insignia, um, sort of carved into her casket and, and a necklace and, and, and she's wearing coat. it on her necklace too. So, um, as of right now, there's no explanation for that, but we'll, we'll, I'll break that down for you as we keep going here. What else? Um, from here, we're sort of introduced that Charlie, um, likes to sleep in this tree house. It's like an awesome tree house that they have right in their backyard, um, that you have to climb a ladder up to. And it's like built right into a couple of trees, um, like birch trees. It's really cool looking. Um, but Charlie clearly has some, some sort of like uh, disfigurement. Um, it's not really clear if it's like a mental thing. Um, but she's got like some sort of physical ailments, which sort of makes her look a little bit uh, distinguished from the rest of her family. Um, and her character very much is, um, as we learn to find out. Then we go back inside the house. Um, Annie is sort of introduced as this miniature creator um, who basically creates these model sets and then enters them into a museum where the museum will 
uh, exhibit her thing. So she's an artist, basically. Um, the dad, I don't even know if her ever really told what the dad's job is. Um, not super important necessarily, but um, her, the dad also works. Um, and Charlie and Peter go to the same high school. Then we uh, cut back into the house after the funeral's over with. And we have this really interesting scene where Annie is going through the sort of possessions of the dead mother where she comes across a box and there's a note inside one of the boxes that says for Annie. And she left her a note saying something very cryptic along the lines of um, everything that I've done in this life will come with a reward. Um, All your suffering will be for naught, or something like that. It was just something very cryptic. I don't know, sort of make you doubt a little bit about what this grandmother is talking about here from beyond the grave, leaving this note. Whatever um, it was, it pissed Annie off. She was not happy about that note. Yeah. It's almost like Annie kind of had a feeling about what it's about and was not pleased at all by what she read. And then there's this really awesome scene where in the dark corner, she's looking at what appears to be sort of like a ghostly shape that definitely is her mother. And she turns the light on and, and the figure immediately goes away. Um, it was also some really cool camera work. There's lots of like quick flashing in this movie where they'll do, instead of doing a, a classic jump scare with a loud bang or anything like that, it'll just be a quick cut from dark to light. And that happens like 10 or 15 times throughout this movie, which is really effective, in my opinion, and very unique um, without having that big audio swell or like a bang to bring it home. It's just something that sort of leads you to wonder what the fuck is going on here. While we're on that note, John, I don't know if you want to, if I should save this for the end or not, but I think it's worth noting that this is not a jump scare movie at all. I think that yeah. uh, this movie does a, a great job of like not relieving that tension. Um, yep. So you think it's going to be jump scare, but it's not. There's nothing that's loud in your face, and you just yep. never get relief from that constant tension that's going on in the movie. So yeah. while you brought I mean, up jump scares, I wanted to bring that up. You compare this movie to like a smile where smile very much is all about the, uh, the wow factor of the scare. Um, this is more of like, you're caught up with this family and you don't know what the fuck is going on and you're going to feel yeah. that way. And there are, no, there really aren't answers for what you're seeing and smile. There kind of is, you kind of have an idea of, Oh, okay. There's this monster thing that's going around impersonating these like spooky figures. In this one, you really don't know what's going on until I would probably say like three quarters of the way through the movie, you sort of piece it together. Anyways, um, back to the plot. Where did I leave off? She, okay, so she sees her mother in the corner. Um, that's the first time she sort of sees like an apparition. We reveal that um, Charlie and her mother kind of have a strange relationship where Annie sort of exposits that um, when she was born, grandma preferred you. Like she, she was very close to, to Charlie and like wanted to breastfeed her, which Tony made in like some strange miniature, like to replicate that. It's like a very off-putting like thing to make of your mother with her fucking mother's out trying to breastfeed your child, uh, your own child. Yeah, your own child, nonetheless. Yeah, grandma feeding her grandson. <laughs> yeah, right. That was fucking strange. So anyways, you know this is sort of an atypical family relationship here. Um, Peter really has no connection to the grandmother. He was not like particularly upset that she died at all when, her, when his dad came in and asked him how he's doing. It's very clear that he is not super involved with the grandmother, wasn't super t- attached to her. 
then we sort of get like these sort of strange carvings that we kind of cut to with the camera into the wallpaper of the house that we sort of th- see throughout the rest of the film, which again, I think is a really cool touch for once you figure out what's going on. But in the moment, it doesn't make any sense why there's these really strange black carvings into car like sort of, and I think they're like Latin words or something carved in there. What else? Mom left the cryptic note, breastfeeding. Uh, we go back inside to the classroom back uh, with Peter in the in his high school and uh he's sort of like the stoner who's trying to, he's got like a crush on the girl that sits in front of him and you know he's a horn dog we kind of learned that about pete right away there's a party that's going to be happening um that gets teased and peter's going to go to it he decides to sort of lie to his mother about how they're going there it's, it's this family barbecue or his school barbecue is what he says but really it's just a fucking house party we cut to charlie in her classroom and she's fucking watching dead birds fly into her classroom window, which is also kind of at the end of the movie makes a little bit of sense to me now, but like, why is there a dead bird that's just catapulting itself into her class into Charlie's window? Charlie's not faced at all. Then she goes outside with some scissors and chops this bird's head off. Um, Plops it in her pocket. Yeah. She fucking stashes it for later. (laughs) So yeah, Charlie's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's established right away. Charlie is a fucking weirdo. Then from here, um, Annie goes to like this bereavement support group because she doesn't real. She's kind of conflicted with how she feels about her mother passing away, where she sort of gives her whole family history of what actually has been happening in her family. Uh, also, real quick before this bereavement meeting, uh, the father gets a call from the graveyard saying that there's been a desecration, and we don't really get any follow up to that until much later after uh, one week yeah after a week of being buried in the ground yep um annie goes back to this group um she's sort of admitting to everybody that um her family history like everyone in her mom's side of her family all the males have died in some sort of crazy bizarre mental illness or suicide or like just some otherworldly shit and <laughs> it's not particularly noticeable right away <coughs> oh, keep choking on this beer it's not it wasn't it's not very noticeable that anything out of the ordinary like the way that right. he describes it was not anything that like raised your suspicion yet in the movie just right how she described it yes you just all you need to know is that the mother's side of the family just sounds tragic is tr- there's a very tragic history and annie has dealt with a lot of grief in her life up to this point all sort of surrounding her mother then we cut back to the actual house party that um, Charlie and Peter attend. There's a real quick scene where Charlie is, uh, she sort of sees this like this bright light, this blue bright light that sort of directs her to her window, which then directs her and her weird bird head out to her backyard where she sees grandma sitting in a field with a burnt fire circle. Um, and Tony Collette pretty much just pulls her right out of there and is like, what are you doing? And she clearly is not affected by whatever Charlie saw. Um, so I just want one, one other little red, red flag here to sort of be on the lookout with Charlie here and, and grandma for that matter. So at the actual party, um, it's obviously not a fucking school barbecue. Peter was fucking lying about that just so he could go. Um, people are like, you know, drinking and getting stoned. Yeah. And Tony Collette asked Peter to bring her, uh, Charlie along with him to this party sort of as a way to keep him from drinking and to give Charlie something to do. That's not 
crafting strange figurines out of bird heads. I guess that's the one thing they kind of have in common, right, Sauce? Like the mom and Charlie, is they both like to make figurines. I guess like, so, yeah. It seemed like she was kind of in that, into that as well, Charlie. That's like the common link between the two. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> um, so at the party, Peter sort of sees like this girl that he's been like going after, um, asks her if she wants to smoke some smoke a bong with her. So they go away, and Peter sort of tells Charlie to go, go eat some chocolate cake and... Uh, to keep busy, Charlie clearly does not want to be at this party at all. But she goes ahead and eats this cake, which they flashed earlier, has nuts in it. And Charlie is allergic to nuts. And this is like one of the events that sort of sets in motion the rest of the movie here. Um, one other quick side note, Easter egg that I caught. As soon as Peter walks into the room with all these kids on it, with the kids smoking weed, there's a they're watching like this laptop video of someone getting beheaded from a guillotine. Really? Um, which is another <laughs> I did not catch that. I didn't catch that till this fucking fourth or fifth watch, to be honest with you. There was a yeah. lot of stuff that I caught on this. Also, there's another scene that happened earlier where Peter is smoking a bong in his room, and we cut to a camera shot of the outside where there's, in a corner of the screen, there's someone that's, like, breathing. It's, like, it's cold air, and you can see breath as if someone's, been, someone's watching Peter from outside. I did catch um, that one. Okay. Uh, nothing like going to your, your high school party and, and watching some beheadings while you have some drinks. <laughs> yes. It's just a quick little a little something from Ari Aster to uh, sort of tip you off of what's to come here. So immediately, Charlie goes into like this anaphylactic shock um, from eating these like this walnut cake. And uh, Peter, high as a kite, has to rush her out of this party in the middle of the night in pitch black conditions. To in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, to a hospital. Another little tease that happened earlier, they do a quick shot as they're driving to the party of a pole, a wooden telephone pole that has an insignia that's the same insignia that was in uh, the grandma's casket, was on her necklace, and was on her books when we were going through her books. Um, And as they're driving back, Peter's in a big rush because Charlie's clearly getting worse and can't breathe. Well, basically, they run into a deer that's been right in the put right in the middle of the road. I don't know if it's been put there in the middle of the road. I don't know if that's just where this deer was, but there's something huge in the middle of the road. They have to go around that. Charlie opens up the window for some air, uh, sticks her head out and she just absolutely gets fucked and her head just bounces right off that pole and she gets decapitated. And it was at this moment on the first watch that I was like, wait a minute. This trailer for this movie told me that this little girl was going to be the entire movie. Right. And she just died within the first, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? Like, I just got sold a different movie. Um, and poor Peter, like, I'm going to give a quick shout out to his acting because he just is, like, completely stunned. I mean, he's high as a kite, so keep that in mind, too. But he goes into a shock of his own kind after he realizes that his sister, her head just got karate chopped by a telephone pole. And uh, he is just sort of just, uh, what would be a good word, just stuck. Like, he's just, like, yeah, frozen in fear. He doesn't move. He doesn't even look back to see the aftermath of what happened. He just, like, tries to reassure himself and talks, asks if she's okay, even though she's clearly absolutely gone at that point. Right. He just doesn't know what to do or how to handle it. Right. So Peter's in complete shock. He decides to drive home. And just leave Charlie's body in the car. He just goes right up to bed and calls it a day. <laughs> to me, it's like 
I kind of feel him. I kind of feel for him a little bit because he's still like just a young kid and he didn't. Obviously, what he should have done is still gone to a hospital, um, or just called the police from there. But um, he decides to bring the body and the entire car back with the head on the side of the road. He just leaves it there. Just leaves it there. Goes to bed. Although I don't think it's kind of implied that he doesn't get any sleep. Yeah. Um, There's still shots of him just with his eyes wide open sitting in the bed the entire night from uh, nighttime until the morning. So he got zero sleep. The mother, poor mother, goes to go out in the morning and she gets in the car and we just have this still shot of Peter's face listening to his mother just scream out of, you know, terror or just sadness or just shock of what happened. There's her, her daughter is just dead in the backseat of a car without a head. And uh, and he discovers it and then immediately goes into like this incredible acting scene where she's just like on her like hands and knees and like her, her, their their poor dad's trying to like console her. And she's just like acting her ass off that, you know, her, her daughter just fucking died. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, it's spooky Bork. Spooky Bork has entered the chat. So Chris is joining us now, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, Chris, I would just like to ask you a quick question about what, what did you think when uh, old Charlie got popped by that telephone pole and sort of how Peter decided to bring the body back and left sort of left it for his mother to find. It's uh it's an iconic scene to say the least. I will address my tardiness here at the end, but yeah, that scene is one of the best of the movie. I'm, I'm glad I got a chance to talk about it here just in time because that's literally one of my favorite scenes. Um, I'm not going to pick it for my favorite scene, but it's pretty well done. You kind of see how they use the mirror, his like rear view and his side mirrors or whatever to like look at her in the in the back seat without her head. So, pretty cool. I I think like the, there's clearly a fracture that has happened now be- between Annie and Peter, where Annie is placing a lot of blame on Peter for what happened to Charlie at that party, which is uh, partially true, um, but also partially on Annie a little bit for. It's a kind of just like an unfortunate circumstance where people just started blaming each other for a very unfortunate event. From here, I think uh, we get some scenes of, what's his name, Charlie, right? Smoking his problems away. He just does not know how to handle it. Oh, Peter? Or P- Yeah, Peter, I'm sorry, not Charlie, Peter. Yeah, um, Peter. He's just smoking starts, his problems away. Yeah, he starts smoking some bowls at school with his buddies, like... He may have already been doing that, but he actually sort of goes into like this weird, like allergic reaction of his own. And uh, he starts beginning to hear like tongue clicking, which is something that Charlie pretty much did for the first half of the movie. It's like, it's kind of like one of her tics that she has. She goes like that. And um, Peter starts hearing that like from this point on um, the spooky paranormal shit sort of starts to really take over from here. I guess, as I, I guess what I'm trying to say from, from after from here, this is where Annie meets Joan. Yeah, so Annie Annie goes to another bereavement meeting, and this time her daughter has just died, so she goes back again to discuss her daughter, where she runs into Giuseppe Joan. And uh, Joan is sort of introduces herself as someone who's also gone through loss of a family member, saying that her son and her grandson had just recently passed away, and um, 
she gives her her number and is sort of consoling her for what's going on and is sort of saying that she's available to talk if Annie ever needs it. And it's pretty clear to me that Annie needs some counseling, basically, after the death of her daughter. Um, But instead of doing that, she sort of gets in tight with Joan. So Joan kind of works her way into that bereavement network of Annie's. So now here we have another very interesting scene where the reason Annie goes to Joan after she's given her number is because her blue paint as she was making a miniature spilled. And there's a really interesting, I caught this the most recent watch. I've never caught this before. There's a blue light in the corner of the frame that I was telling you guys. I also, I should say this was another live watch where I wanted to get all these fiends live reactions to this movie. Um, so we did a live watch in this particular scene. I had to go back and watch it again, but there's a blue light that comes in, goes over towards the blue paint and it knocks over directing Annie's attention over to Joan. So it's as if this blue light was sort of leading Annie to go contact Joan in particular and to stop working. Um, I'll touch on this a little bit more later, what it actually means. Um, But for now, Annie goes back to visit Joan at her apartment for the first time where Annie recognizes her doormat is kind of similar to what her mother used to make. Again, it's just sort of like this loose connection that she makes where from here, Joan kind of is telling Annie to possibly perform a seance to get back in communication with her daughter, if I'm not mistaken, right, guys? Not there. She oh, runs okay. into her afterwards at like a some sort of a store. Um, but when she meets with Joan for the first time, they kind of talk. Uh, Annie kind of spills her beans a little bit about her relationship with Peter and how she she sleeps. Uh, she sleepwalks and she essentially almost killed him. She yeah, she covered him with paint, paint thinner. Paint thinner, and uh, right. woke up with the the flick of the match that was about right. to kill him. So and she kinda Annie also found something. Annie found something in her drink too. Like there was like this weird like thing that Joan put in her tea. Yeah, um, I, I don't know if you guys that. caught that or not. I did not catch that, but interesting. Okay. Yeah, Annie finds like it looks like if another um, Easter egg. I think Ari Aster was throwing to Rosemary's baby here where um, there's like herbs that get put in your drink uh, by devil worshiping cults. Um, it's like a very common practice, I guess. Hmm. And um, it's another sort of red flag here about old Joni. And uh, anyways, yes, you're right. They, it's revealed that Tony sleepwalks and she almost killed her kids by covering them in paint thinner. And she had a match in her hand. So again, Annie has got, Annie's got issues here, folks. Like she's not well. And she hasn't been well for a while. Or at least there's something strange going on here. Um, So, yeah, anyways. um, Then we have this. I think that goes to the dinner scene from here. Where the the three of the four family members are left to eat dinner with each other. And, again, I think this is, like, another example of just, like, top notch acting from Toni Collette. Where she just goes fucking off on Peter. Sort of blaming him for obviously there there's they have not been talking to each other they've been avoiding each other and peter sort of asks his mom like what's going on and uh she tells him to get that fucking face off of his face and like <laughs> peter is just you know like peter and his dad are sort of just like there for the ride while tony just blows up on them and pretty much just explicitly blames peter for the death of, of charlie and then 
Peter takes a second and then says, you were the one that made her go to that party. She didn't even want to go. Hit her with a zinger. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he just fucking returns fire with a with a one-liner. And uh, the, the father steps, steps in. in and he's like, all right, we're not, we're not going any further than this. And a lot of times you'll see that this dad is just, this poor guy is just in the middle of, you know, the mother who is just, lost her i don't want to say she's lost her marbles but she's at wit's end and peter who is sort of like a victim almost in this case for the rest of the movie is yet very much like a victim of circumstance um anyways the point is i think this was like phenomenal acting like she was fucking terrifying like nothing even scary happened and like you could just feel how angry she was um so anyways killer dinner scene that pretty much just further drives the stake between Annie and Peter. Then she meets then, back up with Joan. Yeah, yeah I think they go she, back to the store. store. You introduced yeah. Louie. Yep, where Joan tells Annie that she successfully held a seance and was able to co- communicate with her grandson, Giuseppe Louie. And uh, they go to her, Annie goes back to her house for the seance, and it's for real. Like, there's no tricks going on here. Like, there's something spooky going on. Like Louie is writing on a chalkboard, moving glassware around, like fucking blowing wind in Annie's face. And like Annie is totally just mind blown by the seance that Joan, Joan was held. Uh, Joan pretty much gives her everything that she needs to hold a seance in her own house. Gives her some directions to start speaking a, a language that she doesn't even know it's in, uh, which is bullshit. Joan does know, but she tells Annie, she doesn't know what's going on. Um, just do it. And you'll be able to, that basically your daughter isn't gone. Um, so immediately Annie goes to, like, she's all on board. It takes her no time at all to start sort of reliving this, like, you know, doing the seance thing. Um, then there's this really cool nightmare scene where Annie discovers Peter, who's just covered in ants. And, uh, oh, wait, I forgot to even say that there was a fucking scene that just shows, this is probably the iconic scene, Chris, that I didn't mention that there's a really disgusting shot of charlie's head just covered in ants on the side of the road it's like fucking terrifying and uh very real looking i'll give it to the practical effects or whoever designed that charlie head but that was absolutely terrifying with ants crawling all over it yeah, set the in the background of tony screaming that was they show it though like right after the the scene where she gets her head chopped off that I'm i thought sure shortly after yeah that, that was that was, I thought it was it's very when, shortly after, like the the day after, and the hot. Oh, sun. so yeah, they cut from Peter screaming in bed, or sorry, Peter's face listening to his mom scream in bed to the the head, the head and yeah, all you yeah. hear is Tony screaming, and then you see Tony sort of grieving like on all fours in her bedroom. Why are you calling but, her Tony? Yeah, her name's Annie the in the movie. <laughs> Annie, yeah. Annie in the movie. I just know Tony Collette, the actress, better than I know. That's fine. You can call her that. Um. Anyways, um, Annie goes to hold this seance. Um, oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm getting ahead of myself. There's the dream sequence where Annie finds Peter, whose face is just covered in ants and is, might be dead. And then she wakes up from that, and Peter's like, Mom, like, what's going on here? And then Sleep she admits, again. like, I never wanted to have you as my son. Like, I never wanted to be your mother. And just starts hitting him with these Kind of out of the blue. <laughs> Right. I never wanted you to be my kid. Yeah. Another bombshell. It's something you should never say to a person. And uh, 
and he hits him with it and Peter starts to cry. And then all of a sudden he's just covered in fuck it. He's just wet and covered in paint thinner. And then Annie is covered in paint thinner. And then a, a light strikes cut out of that. That was also a dream. So it's sort of like this uh, fake out for the audience and, and for Annie that, yeah, like she just, she's starting to see shit. Um, and it calls back that paint thinner scene that she documented with Joan earlier. Um, then Pete, weird shit immediately starts to happen when Annie starts doing rituals at her house. Um, she starts getting, she wakes him up at two in the morning, her husband and her son. And like Charlie, like you hear her voice come through her mother for a second and you know, like a candle blazes really quick and a bunch of fucking just weird, you know, ghost shit starts happening. Um, and that translates to when Peter's even at school where he like looks in the window or looks in a mirror of a window in school and he sees like a version of himself smiling back at him. And uh, that was like also like pretty, I love the way they shot that like awesome scene just to sort of get you off your fucking toes to know that this is not just something that's happened at home. This is following Peter and it's following the mother. And um, Tony starts to hear or Annie starts to hear Charlie click as well. Peter starts to see Charlie in the corners of his room where her head falls off and becomes like a foam, a foam ball. Like the hallucinations just really pick up right from here. Pretty much since they've done that seance at their house. Um, what else? Oh, they discover a smell in the attic of their house. They come back and he goes upstairs to this pull out um, attic and they find what appears to be, a dead body that's just been decapitated that's staged in their attic. And Annie discovers the sigil that she saw at her mother's casket right next to it. And it appears to be the dead decapitated body of her mother that after it had been robbed has been placed inside their attic and it's just reeking up their house. Um, I think that's where she puts all the pieces together at that point too, where she knows what's going on that. Yeah. Jones it, it and it becomes clear. And, from there she goes back down to her husband and explains everything that's going on and how he needs to take whatever this conjured book is and throw it in the fireplace. Right. Right. To, that it's, conjured gonna, book. it's either going to be Annie or um, Peter. She essentially right. is what she says. We should say that the, the, the book that is being referred to here has significance because um, Tony told Charlie to draw in that book, because that was something that Charlie used to like to do. And instead, everything that's drawn on there is just a picture of Peter with crying or screaming and, and afraid with his eyes crossed out with X's, uh, which is obviously not great. You don't want to be seeing that from your from your paranormal de- deities that are haunting your house. Um, so anyways, yes, yeah, Sauce, like she starts to put it together here that, yeah, pretty much there is a connection between this cult and what's going on with the seance, with everything that's been, like, what she's been hearing, what she's been seeing, and stuff like that. Um, Annie, at this point, I think she just destroys all her miniatures out of frustration. Um, she can no longer get, like, any work done. She's just way too discombobulated by what's going on in her day-to-day and the shit that she's seeing and hearing. Then I think we have the scene where Peter's head almost gets pulled off by a pair of hands in bed. And again, like it just 
poor Peter, like he's like he definitely is getting the worst end of the stick out of everything that's happening here. Like whatever thing is haunting this house is like specifically sort of targeting Peter. Tony Collette goes or Annie goes off the rails here saying like she's the only one that can get rid of this stuff. Like that she knows what's going on. She tries to get her husband to help, but her husband, um, he's he's almost at wit's end as well now with his wife. He thinks his wife is just off her rocker, basically. And uh, I think this is right here, right? Like they go back, they go back to school, and Peter has the puppet scene where he basically gets sort of like pulled up. His arm gets pulled up by like a phantom deity in a very like disgusting way. It's like twisted wrongly and he is like getting like the sides of his mouth was being pulled up like a puppet and he just gets his head just slammed like right into his own desk like over and over and basically breaks his nose and just to add on to that john with that scene with um peter raising his hand and kind of slamming his head into the desk um so something i looked up on youtube afterwards about that um so you know peter smashes his desk and the or his face into the desk and that weird, whatever is going on there, he's clearly being possessed. Um, I guess if you look closely, his hand is in the same form as Pyman's staff on the statue at the very end of the movie as well. So oh, wow. resembling Pyman right there. So it's, it's just like a connection towards the end of the movie. Wow. Which That's I, pretty cool. I did not know that. Yeah. That was just a comment. Somebody commented on YouTube that I didn't catch, but I guess the ending he's doing the same thing or whatever the statue was yeah after after that part where he's in school he's basically like down for the count after that like they take him home he's knocked out they throw him in bed and that's when it kind of goes down with the book that uh you know annie says that they have to burn the and tries to get the dad to burn the book so but yeah that scene at school is another iconic scene from the movie is when he kind of slams his head in the desk so um, I like that one a lot too. Yep. Yes, for sure. After that, I mean, it's already been you know going crazy, but yeah, this movie's just already getting off its rocker and it just keeps going from there. Right. As they go back home. Yep. And Peter, like before he went into that class, started to see a blue light like in the hallway of his school, sort of lead him there. Um, and then also in the background, there were like these weird, like the teachers were discussing like a lesson about the significance of fate and whether or not you have any choice in it. And that turned out to be very relevant for Peter. Like the very first lesson was like something they were talking about, like a hero from like Greek mythology where something terrible has happened. And it's like, does he have any control over what's happening or is it all just set to be? And like this blue light in a way sort of acts as like fate or like something that is destined to be. Like, that was just another thing leading up to that really crazy puppet slash, like, staff scene with his hand where he busts his nose. Um, I just wanted to call that out, too. Um, So the dad picks Peter up from school, and, like, the dad is just totally against his wife at this point. There's really no convincing him that she's okay. And (laughs) I have to say for a fact that, like, the scene that happens after where... Tony needs to burn this book that has clearly a connection to this deity that's been haunting them is like just off the rails. Awesome. Where Annie is telling like, please, please, please. Like you have to destroy this book. It'll kill me. But like, 
if you want to save Peter, we have to get rid of this book. And then it's totally just do everything that you were shown earlier where Tony tried to get rid of it herself. And she set a blaze gets reversed by this demon and, uh, or whatever is haunting them and just sets the dad on fire. The dad just goes up like a fucking smokestack in a blaze of fire. And he's like, I don't know, Tony's face, like the acting, she quickly becomes this blue light sort of comes back over her where she goes from like terror to calm. It sort of shows that, okay, she's being taken over here. And then I, I might be out of order here, but then all the pieces sort of really come together when she goes, we get a cut back to Joan's house and we realize that Joan has been a member of this cult with, she has the symbol in her house there's the dead bird head from Charlie's pocket in her house. There are all these figurines that are laying around her table with Peter, a picture of Peter's face with his eyes burnt out on it. And it's like a lot of voodoo shit that's going on in Jones, in Jones place. Annie even discovers that Joan had been in cahoots with her grandmother and clearly knew her grandmother from when she was alive and was engaging in these strange like rituals together with all these other ones where the mother is wearing, the grandma is wearing like this wedding outfit. Like she's being like covered in like treasure and Joan is right alongside of her with a bunch of white people, crazy white people. Um, that's when you kind of know like, okay, there is a cult that has this sigil and they're trying to summon King Payman, one of the fucking eight demons of hell or something like that. There he is, King Payman in all his glory. I don't know if this video is going to work out, but I just wanted to show you guys not to go out of order. Do you see how his staff is kind of like that twisted hand that goes to the... Oh, right, yeah. That, which is what he does um, when he's in that classroom. So his hand kind of snaps up like how, how his staff is. That's so I just crazy. I want to show you guys a picture of it. So you yeah, he definitely idea. looks like that. His hand was straight up burnt, like turned like that. Yeah, I thought it was, it was, he was just and, turned like, into broken a to the right. Okay. That, that's another really neat trick that he threw in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So the dad, the dad is just a barbecue, um, and the mom just got possessed by King Payman, the blue light. Right. And but then uh, we, we see that there's a really cool scene next where Peter kind of wakes up in his room, and then goes down and kind of discovers the dad. You um, you see the mom. She's. Like she said, she's possessed, so she's acting floating like, in the air throughout the house. Yeah, like superhuman as she's like climbing up onto like the walls and the ceilings. But it's this really creepy shot of Peter waking up, very disoriented, and he kind of like you know slowly gets out of bed. You see her in the background; she scurries out of the room, which is kind of scary, kind of funny. Right. She goes downstairs, finds the dad, and you again see the mom like. Like crawled up the wall, like up on the ceiling and the rafters. <clears throat> yeah. So I like that scene a lot. It, it is very spooky and suspenseful. Right. Um, and then doesn't she basically just like attack him and then chase him up into yeah. the air? I guess this is like the, the first true jump scare, right? That kind of happens other than maybe like the, the desk scene where he smashes his head. That was a bit of a jump scare, but yeah. Um, like this is, this is definitely a by the book smile ass jump shot, jump scare where She's no, they show she's no longer up in the rafters, like she's gone, but she's still there somewhere. Peter's like looking around, he can't find her. And then he finds 
this naked ass dude with his balls out standing <laughs> in his closet that's just smiling at him very creepily. And then he quickly turns back and his mother's in a hidden corner and just chases him right up the stairs, straight up into the attic, which is, you know, probably right where the cult wanted to, to bring old Pete. And uh, then we have another killer shot where Annie is just like trying to bust her head through the door, knocking on the door. It's like very, like, I don't know how they shot that. I mean, they definitely did some weird camera work to like make it look like she was upside down. But like Annie is just banging her head aggressively against the the door, which is a fucking just amazing shot. A killer, killer shot. And uh, Peter's upstairs. You can see a couple of like other naked cult members that are chilling up there. Um, there was uh, before this even happened, we have like this really cool cut from night or daytime to nighttime of the outside of the house. And there's all these naked people that you can see ever so slightly that are just in the corners of their yard, just facing the house. Um, just to sort of get you even more off edge or, or on edge, I should say. And um, Peter goes up there where it turns out that the body, the mother, the grandmother's body is no longer there. Um, and he tries to like wake himself up because he doesn't believe what he's seeing with like what's happening to him right now. And uh, he starts hailing like this, like this squelching sound happening behind them. And he like slowly pans up and there's his mother just levitating like 10 feet in the air with like a piece of piano wire. And she is just like ever so like slightly or slowly just sawing her own head off. And she just gets gradually faster and faster and faster. And then she turns, Peter looks to his right and the music cuts out and there's three more fucking cult members that are just also smiling at him all naked. And he just decides to do what I think anybody would do, which is just yeet himself right out the glass window from the attic. Um, and then Peter, what's another very is a significant scene that you might not have caught is that when Peter is laying on the grass of his, of his yard dead, a black shadow moves away from his body implying that's Peter going away. And then a, the blue light goes right into his back and takes over. And then Peter stands back up. He watches the decapitated body of his mother float from down from the attic and then up into the treehouse, which the treehouse also has its lights on and all red. And uh, Peter gives out a quick little and uh, from there that you can interpret that to be that that's Charlie now that has gone back into the body of Peter. Or it could be King Payman. And then um, he goes upstairs into this treehouse where we see there are multiple people that are there that are naked or kneeling or praying towards the front of the treehouse, which it consists of a sort of like a, a figurine that Charlie would made, but life-sized. And it has the decapitated head of Charlie sitting on top of the statue with a crown on its head. And with the King Payman uh, staff that has Peter's, you know, convulsed hand from earlier, that sort of uh, figure to it. And uh, who else is up there? There's Joan. She's still alive. She's wearing, like, garments. Uh, Grandma is up there. She's decapitated. Um, Peter's mom's up there. She's decapitated as well, all bowing and kneeling towards this figurine of Charlie or King Payman, however you may please. 
then Joan sort of begins this ritual saying that Peter, well, she actually, she addresses Peter's body as Charlie and says, Charlie, you are now King Payman, one of the eight demons of hell. Um, we did all this for you so that you may have a male host and treat us to riches and wealth. And like, you are our boy is pretty much what they say. And Peter is just sort of chilling there. He's just like, all right. He's like, this is who I am now. Or King Payment's just, you know, he's speechless or he just has nothing to say. And then uh, we hear a big old hail payment. And uh, there's like this really crazy, like miniature shot as if we're looking at a miniature of the treehouse with uh, the back door cut off and we're looking inside. And there's, you know, 30 people in this treehouse. They're all bowing and saying hail payment. And then uh, the movie ends. And that is uh, my long-winded plot for a very complicated movie. Um, fellas, what did I miss? Do we want to talk about anything in particular? Yeah. Um, something important there at the end. After Peter yeets himself out the window. Um, they have this just totally unnecessary scene. They're panning before they show the mom like flew up in the treehouse, they show that the dog is just laying down in the yard, dead. Right. Rexy. Did you talk about Rexy before I got on? No, I never introduced Rexy. That's a, a shame, John. So, way back <laughs> at the beginning of the movie, after they go to that funeral for the grandma, I get home and the dad's first one to say hi. He says hi to Rexy, the dog that they have. It's just nice, cute looking. It's like a Chihuahua, medium sized mix type dog. It's like a corgi, I think. I don't think it's, it could be, I don't know, big fluffy dog, looks old, kind of just waddling around. But yeah, when you told me that, John, we were all watching together, and they showed that, they're just kind of showing some woods, and you see something is laying down on the ground. I was like, okay, that looks like something. I couldn't figure it out that that was the dog, and then you said that that was the dog, and I got mad. I was like, why? Why is the dog dead? Yeah. Definitely didn't really have a whole lot to add to the story, other than to show that these people are ruthless this cult is ruthless i guess they're evil you know yeah there was one scene where they had rexy like barking at peter as he's in his room like they after he thought he saw charlie and like the little ball rolls off and like looks like it's charlie's head you know dog was barking there but you know if you're gonna put the dog in the movie just to kill it that's that's fucked up yep i agree i have something while we're on the ending um, I think what they were, I could be wrong about this, but I think what they were trying to do with that treehouse scene as they panned out, I think they were kind of trying to make it look like the nativity with, uh, like when Jesus is born in the, yeah, definitely. I think they were going for that kind of a vibe. So like the birth of Jesus, the per, the birth of this Satan King, whatever he is, payment, um, just everyone surrounding, um, I guess, Peter or Charlie, whatever it is at the end there, um, being born. So the creation of that, uh, kind of very similar. So I just thought that was worth noting as well. Yep. Uh, there's definitely, I could see that because I mean, the, even the color, like the lighting, I think was specifically shot that way to make it look almost like a nativity, like a holy, a holy scene. Yeah. And the, I, correct me if I'm wrong. Was it, weren't they playing throughout the whole end of the treehouse scene? Like just, like spiritual, like oh, heavenly yeah. type music. It was like some cult ritual music, I guess is the best yeah, way I would. It was like spiritual it. music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It sounded like you know long drawn out 
distorted strings and you know or like loud horns even yep i like it like i was saying to you john it i don't know if i'm just mixing them up but i thought they used something similar in midsummer so i'm gonna have to rewatch that movie and see if right I'm right right i I'm, I'm curious about that as well to see if maybe he used uh you know a portion of the <clears throat> same soundtrack or yeah you know it just sounded maybe he just has a sound that he likes in his movie um so yeah i mean i think that could kind of do it for the plot i mean we i have so much i could talk about on this one but i think we should go and nominate giuseppe right about now <laughs> and uh i think we were all in agreement last night fellas that um we have to give i mean this guy he doesn't he's almost too important to be a giuseppe but he for sure of everybody that acts in this movie has the most giuseppe like qualities and uh that is the dad that is steve um do you guys agree? Disagree? I do agree. And I, I don't think there's like a very clear Giuseppe in this movie. But if no, he he's a weaker one, Giuseppe. Yeah, he's a weaker Giuseppe for sure. But some of the things he did, especially at the end of the movie, like refusing to throw that uh, the book and the fire, stuff like that. And I don't know. I think he's a Giuseppe candidate. I just want to say about the dad, I think he's just overall a pretty weak character you know it, it seems yeah. like he obviously has a, a, a role in this movie and a fairly significant one but he also at the same time doesn't do much and it's just kind of there so that's one thing i realized I'm, as this was my second watch when i watched it with you guys yesterday um the dad again just like doesn't really do much so one thing i noticed he's definitely got giuseppe type actions though he just kind of yeah. sits there and lets things happen and Goes I think compared to the other three, die. you know, like the other three are just hugely important. Like everything in the movie happens to them. The dad, we never really see it from his perspective other than one, one or two scenes where, you know, like the one time he's crying in his car as he picks up his son for after he broke his nose at school and he starts crying. Like I felt pretty he bad. Almost for gets him into a car accident, movie. right? Yeah. He, he was, almost got he into a car drinking accident. at that point. Cause he's so stressed out. Yeah. He starts drinking like, not a whole lot is actually shot from his perspective compared to Charlie, Peter, and Tony, or yep. Annie. Um, but I mean, I, I see what your point. He's like of the three, he he is a bit of the weaker character, you know, of of everybody. Yeah. Um, but I still think he's necessary. Like the, I think the movie is still enhanced a little bit by having him there, right. um, only just to turn into the human barbecue because I think that's a legendary horror film <laughs> scene. Um. So yeah, all right. So Giuseppe Steve, I think this is our second Giuseppe Steve, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, let's book them, boys. That's number two. What else should we get into? Favorite scenes here? Anything else we want to talk about? I think so. Let's go. Okay. I'm down with some favorite scenes. I've got about uh, 15 different scenes that I could pull from right here. Um, but I was will. thinking about this yesterday that. Um, I think that the most, my personal favorite scene is Peter in the classroom um, when he gets his hand tied up like a puppet or like um, King. That makes me like that scene even more sauce that you told me that about yeah. King Payment staff. Glad I found because, that comment. I didn't notice that. So. Oh, yeah. For me, that scene is just killer. Um, I love that. I mean, I could, I could shout out the dinner party acting scene. I could shout out Tony Collette, the bereavement group, like she a lot of her scenes like she really showed off like how good of an actor she can be when she's grieving charlie's death 
Um, a couple of the hallucination scenes were awesome, like the paint thinner scene, Peter visualizing uh, Charlie's head pop off and turn into a beach, like a little foam ball. Like, there's just so many scenes in this that are just very unnerving. Like, the camera work is just, like, so excellently done. It would just be, like, so many other movies that we've watched. Like, take any of those, put them in there, and I would still probably call that my favorite scene. Um, there's just so many good ones. But I really like that scene because it's, it's terrifying. The, the, the acting of Peter getting his head smashed in. The whole classroom is just reacting and, like, terrified of what they're seeing the significance of King Payman, like taking him over and turning him into a staff, like pretty much is the summary of like the whole movie of what they were trying to do uh, to this poor family. Um, so I'm going to go with that one. Um, Chris, do you have one ready? Well, I just want to talk about that one too. That leading up to it, where he's outside at what like lunch or something. And he sees Joan just screaming at him from across the street, but it's like, uh, tell him to get out. Yeah. And like only he can, can hear and see her everyone else is acting normally he's like what's going on the whole sequence of of that final scene of him at school is very good and then you know him slamming his face into the desk is just pretty brutal yep cool what do you Um, got for yourself though my personal favorite and i don't know if you mentioned it in your your quick spiel there john my favorite is where you see Anne just bashing her head into the the ba- or the attic door, yeah, like upside down. It's it's so well done because she chases Peter up the stairs into there, and then he like he gets up there and he locks it and stuff. And you just hear banging. You hear a bunch of banging on on the on wood for like a couple quick like scenes and like him being like, "Please stop." And you're you're like you're led to believe, okay, it's just like her like bashing her arm around and something. And they quickly cut to like her below, and just like. And it's such a rapid pace. She's just bashing her head into the into the ceiling. So it was really good. Um, did, you, did you find that scene like scary? Because I I remember on the first watch, I thought that was terrifying. It is scary on the first watch. It's very off putting. Um, you know, just a way to represent like her her banging on it instead of it being her fist. It's just her fucking head. Right. Very hard. <laughs> very fast. Yes. Nice. Yeah. That's a yeah. That's my favorite. Great choice. I also, like I said, wanted to give a shout out to the uh, the dog Rexy. I always like when the movies <laughs> have dogs in it, but you know, Rexy just got Rexy's wrecked. intro. That hits home yeah. a little bit harder for me because my dog's name is Rex. So, yeah, it's, it's not good. Upsetting. Didn't like, didn't like that part. Minus five stars. Go ahead, Sauce. What's your favorite? Wait, let me guess. Sauce's favorite scene is where the dude is standing in the door with his balls out. No, that is, that is not my favorite scene. Uh, we would be doing this movie a, a disservice not to mention um, Charlie getting decapitated and the acting afterwards with Peter um, yeah. just being traumatized. I thought I think I'm going to pick that for my favorite scene. Um, I do have another one after that that I want to mention as well. But um, as far as that scene, I thought just the acting was really well done between like the the camera work and. Um, showing it in the mirror and just the acting afterwards. Like, I couldn't believe that he was just going to go on throughout his day afterwards and just go right to bed after that. thought that was pretty shocking. But um, And then the connection as well, like that symbol on the pole, um, like realizing it was all set up was pretty well done too. So I think I'm going to pick that for a favorite. Other scene that I want to mention, I think we already talked about it a little bit. I don't know if Chris was in here at this point, John, but um, just when Annie was telling Peter that she never wanted to have him, yeah, um, I thought during that added, sequence. that yeah, during that 
right after, I think it was right after she woke up from the hallucination, right? And she just stumbled, woke up right in his bedroom. Yeah. Um, I thought that just added like an extra level and dynamic, like to show the the conflict between them. And um, it also adds in the, the grandma as well, because she said she never wanted to have him, but uh, the grandma pressured her into it. She tried to have a miscarriage. I just think that's so right. incredibly fucked to, to tell your son all yeah. the stuff on, and it kind of builds that family dynamic. I thought that added a little extra to the movie. So yeah. I thought that was yep. a good scene too. Cool. Good scene. I, I'm going to throw one more out there that I just, I can't, I can't not mention this is uh, Annie chopping her head off with the piano wire and then floating up the treehouse into the treehouse. Like I remember on the first watch, I was just thinking to myself, like what in the absolute fuck? Like I did not picture this is where this movie was going. Like I did not think that there was this cult that would be getting ass naked and praying in Charlie's treehouse to a statue of a decapitated head. Um, like it just that I just love the balls of this movie. Like I love how far like they really went for it with like the cult setting, and um, I really just like how they treated grief. Like a lot of this movie is dealing with the loss of someone whether it's the grandmother or it's Charlie or even when it starts going rapid fire, when it goes from the dad to the mom and to Peter, like, I mean, like they all die just like that in the last 10, 15 minutes. But um, man, like, I don't know this movie for me, just like it hits a lot of, a lot of different marks and there's too many scenes to like shout out. Even the intro scene of like just introducing the camera when it goes right into the miniature and we're in Peter's room is just like, phenomenal directing like or camera work whatever you want to call it like it was just super interesting to watch like the non-interesting scenes were interesting to watch the camera work the whole time was super interesting like it was always playing with you sort of trying to play tricks on the audience like i don't even know if i'm looking at a miniature house or the real house right now sometimes with the way that they shot it um one last one i had to mention was the first time she goes to the meeting of a bunch of strangers uh just like to commiserate basically and like share their grief and try to overcome it which is a nice thing obviously just the fact that it's they did the classic like she's like hi you know my name's annie everyone's like hi annie it's just i think that's unintentionally funny to me (laughs) it was funny that is funny (laughs) like yeah like how on on brand it is that they did that so but it's also it is kind of interesting how she just like the guy's like all right any newcomers want to talk and she's reluctant and then she just goes and spills her beans. She says like everything about her entire life to all these strangers and then just leaves. You know? Yeah. Very interesting. Yep. For sure. Um, all right. So we got scenes down. We got uh, Giuseppe down. Should we go into our scores, boys? Are we, are we ready? I'm ready. All right. I kind of want to go second this time. I very rarely go second. So which one of you guys would like to kick us off? Sauce? I'll go. Oh, Chris, go right, right. now. Chris is volunteering. Let's hear it. I'll go last, son. Uh, like I said, second time watching this movie was yesterday with you guys at my house. It was a good time. We drank a lot of beers, ate a lot of chicken fingers, watched a good movie. Um, <laughs> it does suck that during the movie we had to like basically take a pause. We had to move our cars around and shit like that. But I think overall that we still had a pretty good experience watching it. Um very different than the first time I watched it. That was like much more of a secluded setting where it's kind of just myself in a, in a dark room. So 
it's a very scary movie. I, I like it. It it really kind of sets you on edge. I think it's almost a better watch when I was watching it the first time than the second, just based on how I watched it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just saying that it's not as good of a movie to watch with other people or like friends and stuff. That's maybe just my opinion on it. But um, movie itself, really good. This is Ari Aster's first movie, right, John? Yep, this is directorial debut. Correct. Um, Yeah, he does a lot of things very well with it, and... I'll have some stuff to add on at the end when we do spooky trivia about kind of some things that he did with this movie. Um, overall, the only thing I really thought about in the second watch was there might have been a, a little bit of, of fat, I guess. I don't know. There, there's some stuff in this movie that I just kind of realized that it was starting to go a little long. I know his movies go long and I have my grievances typically with movies that go long. So one thing I guess I, I started to think about other than that, the only character I don't really like in this movie is the dad. The rest of them, I think, are really good. Um, especially, you seem to really enjoy the mom, uh, Tony. That's Tony. Tony. So, yeah. Mom's really good. Um, Peter's pretty good. So, um, my score for this movie is a four. And I think I, I think that the fact that it's not really like closer to a five and it's down actually at a four is just because... I think I like Midsommar more than this movie and trying to score it as such. So out of his two movies, I kind of think I like Midsommar more. Nice. I, I That's definitely a, a, a worthy score for this movie. For me, I think this movie, what does it do well? I think it does a lot of things well that other horror movies could have tried with this movie and it would have been a very boring movie. Because this is very much just like sort of like a, a focus on interpersonal relationships in a family after they lose somebody and push to the absolute limit because there's this cult that's going on and manipulating everything in their family, basically. Um, I love how the story is choreographed literally from the opening scene to the very end of the movie. It was meant to happen. And... I love how the director put, you know, little Easter eggs throughout every watch of this. I've got, I found, found something else that I haven't found before and I'll probably will catch something else the next time I watch it as well. Um, but little stuff in the corners of the screen, like the people outside, the blue light knocking over the, the can of paint to direct Annie to Joan. Um, the blue light throughout the whole movie was kind of like a little bit of like a, like a, a tell of what King Payman wanted this family to do and how to move it that way. The, the insignia on the pole, the guillotine video at the family party, like all of this stuff was sort of teased by the director for you to pick up on. And if you pay attention, you might figure out what's going to happen and what it's leading towards. And I think he did that like the best out of any movie I've ever seen with the symbolism, the Easter eggs, um, for me, like this movie, like the acting was, it's some of the best acting you could possibly get in a horror movie between, I think, Tony and um, uh, Peter just knocked it out of the park. I thought the dad did pretty good for what his role was. Charlie was pretty good while she was on screen for the first 15 minutes. Like, they were all very effective at what they were trying to do, but I thought, like, Tony Collette in particular was, like, the winner of this one in terms of the acting. Like, it was, it's some of the best that I've ever seen. Um, it's dark as hell. I love the tie-in with like the cult activity and a little bit of like 
possession. It's like almost like a better version of like the Conjuring. I think in my mind, like a more modern, more realistic version of the con the Conjuring. I think like this sets the standard for what a horror drama should be. Like a horror the horror movie that takes itself seriously should aspire to be as good as this, in my opinion. And that is why I am probably giving it one of my first and only. 5.0. Oh, oh, no. Oh. 5-0. Five on perfect the podcast. Perfect movie. This is a perfect oh. movie. I can watch this anytime, and it impresses me every wow. single time. How do gotta... I follow up a 5.0? <laughs> John, you're going to have to make a post about that. You know, people need to tune in to hear that. You just dropped five. <laughs> About to make a bump. All right. Well, I'm gonna try my best to follow that up after John John's dropping five bombs here, the first ever in our uh, our podcast series. So that's interesting. Um, but as far as the movie, I did really enjoy this movie as well. Um, I thought it was a very um, just like a breath of fresh air compared to some of the other things that we've watched. So it's not just your typical jump scare movie. I liked how it just constantly kept you on edge um and you don't like i said you don't get any sort of relief like at least with the jump scare movie you know that seems common it happens and then usually you get a little bit of a break or this just continues to build tension um it does it we actually have some really good character development in this so we get to know the family it's got a dynamic going i thought they did it really well and the acting was great like you mentioned john so that was really well and i overall i just thought it was a very unique concept so something we haven't seen before. So I thought they did a really good job of just going all out for this cult surprise at the end here. Um, and there's lots of bloopers, like you mentioned, in between and things that you can point out, things that we I'm just continuing to learn about as I continue to look stuff up. And it's just interesting. Um, there's a lot to, to learn from the movie. But um, camera work as well, didn't touch on that. That was really well done. Lots of unique scenes. Um, with the little miniatures and just panning in and out between there. So I thought that was cool. Um, overall, I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to give this movie a, give it a 4.3. I think that's right above smile. I think it's right up there with smile. I would, I think I would say this edges yep. out smile just a little bit for me. So, this is your point yeah. one higher. So just going to edge it out a little bit more than smile. I thought the ending was great. Like one of the better endings we've seen for a horror movie. So, just really unique movie, and I would absolutely watch it again. Nice. Cool. So I'm just going to do a little bit of quick math here. Um, we're coming in at a 4.4 aggregate score, which, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, this is now atop the Horror Fiends poll of uh -huh. best movies. This is the new number one. I would have to assume so. I have to do it with five. <laughs> yeah, I think that's where it should be. I think that's a great spot for it. Um, it's just a little bit, it just barely edged out the Vich, which is a 4.4. .4. Oh, I'm sorry. This is tying the, the Vich right now, but sauce, we're going to, we're going to come back to that Vich score that you gave. Yeah. Cause I think you're going to knock that down a peg, which will no longer make it our top movie. But as of right now, we have a dead tie between the Vich and hereditary. When I was, um, one thing that I forgot to do. Oh, what's that Chris? When I was, um, driving home, knowing that you guys were already out uh, recording, I was thinking to myself of what was going to be happening while I was, you know, getting on. And I assumed you would be talking about this movie with glowing regards and hyping it up as much as you could. <laughs> because I know you love this movie. 
and I actually figured Sauce was going to be more reserved about it. I thought you might be on the on the lower side, but no, I'm glad you liked it too. I mean, that's a good score. No. Game. I thought you might. Have, I thought you were. At I think the. I was going to say, I think the more that we talked about it, and the more that I realized like what it has um, in comparison to some of these other movies, is definitely one of the top ones we've watched for sure. Um, yeah, going from Texas Chainsaw to this is like going compare. from. We went from no. one of my lowest to one of my highest. So. Don't... <clears throat> yep. Which is crazy. But um, I, one of the things I had neglected to do is uh, we didn't nominate a villain before we got into our scores here. So now as good as time as any. Um, I'll lead us off here. I personally think you could name a lot of different people for being a villain in this movie because there are a lot of villains and evil people in this that make what happens happen. Um. Namely, I think the grandma has a pretty good case because she was the one that set into motion everything um, with the cult. She is the one that got her family killed. She is the one that got her brothers and sons and various male family members killed. And she is the reason that everybody in her family dies including Peter, although he just gets resurrected as somebody else. So I I also really want to give it to King Payman because, you know, he is one of the demons from hell, and it is tough to get any more evil than that. So I am kind of in a bit of a moral dilemma between these two. Um, I will I will actually go last now because now I don't know what the fuck to fucking think. Um, what do you guys think? Well, you propose those two. I think that the mom was my maybe potential other was i don't know she's she, a bad mother. she's a terrible mother like i think that's kind of made clear like that i know the whole sleepwalking thing she's got problems but you know it's revealed that she apparently sleptwalked and doused herself and her kids in paint thinner and was about to light a match and kill themselves burn the whole house down so at some point like that kind of evolved or devolved into what she was at that present time when the movie was and she was just kind of not a great person in general so but i think it's the the demon okay. you know give it to okay. payment why not that's the evil spirit that is present in the movie that is making people do things because it is the thing that made uh peter slam his face into a desk made her cut her or and you know cut her head off basically and stab herself and hang herself and do all that fucked up shit so he kind of he would have also, in theory, controlled the the grandma. So, you know, it was predetermined even before her time. Sauce, what do you think? Um, I was kind of in the same boat as you, John. Obviously, the, the grandma is the one that set this all in place. So she has a very good case for causing all this. But I think I'm leaning just slightly more towards the demon um, that's causing all the deaths in the family and... Um, I don't know. I think that's just an easy one to pick, but I think I'm going to lean towards the demon if I had to pick one. Right. I, I will. Uh, I will accept that, and we will name Old KP the villain of this movie. All right. Uh, so we got our scenes down. We got Giuseppe down. Last it's thing time for spooky trivia. It's some spooky fucking trivia. Chris, are you prepared to give out some spooky trivia? Locked and loaded, John. I mentioned earlier, just like Ari Aster in general, you know, this is his first movie, directorial debut. Um, real quick, Tony, Tony, your girl, Tony Collette told her agent she wasn't going to do any more darker, scary, heavy movies. 
and she only wanted to do comedies, but she loved the script so much that she didn't turn it down. So she's also called Ari Aster the most prepared director she's ever worked with. And she said that he basically had the full movie already shot, edited, and you know recorded in his head that's before nuts. they even started. That's his filming. first movie too. Exactly. You yeah. know, and she's giving him such high praise on that. He basically wanted to make a movie that was about suffering and that took suffering seriously, is what they wrote in quotes. So he that's definitely what he went for with like the funeral scenes and just scenes of Tony in absolute despair. Um Ari Aster also wrote detailed biographies and backstories for all of the characters, even before writing the screenplay That's itself, enough. which is very interesting to just like write up a bunch of characters and then like put a story together with them. Um, it was shot in 32 days. I think it's interesting. That's kind of a quick. That is pretty um, quick. Quick time frame. It wasn't as quick as Terrifier, which was like five days. <laughs> what was um. I think Friday the 13th was pretty quick, too. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you mentioned the score earlier. I didn't really talk about that in my review, but I think the score is really good. You know, I don't think it's anything that's like average. I think it's above average. Um, I guess the composer, Colin Stetson, he found inspiration for the score through the sounds of water and animals while walking around in the pitch black night. So Whoa. this guy was just walking around dark out, you know, not a care in the world. Getting inspired. Earth. Um, the house that they use for filming, I guess um, it was the entire uh, interior of the house was built on a stage. And they basically, they the miniature artists that they kind of used throughout of it, um, they, they had, like we talked about, a, a miniature version of it. And that's how they kind of made it the same was they just built a, a house that was the same as the miniature. Dope. Anything on special effects in there? The special effects team had to learn how to do effects they'd never done before, such as making a candle light itself. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good scene. Yeah. It seems like a lot of the special effects in this were pretty, mostly practical. Oh, yeah. Like, I can't really um, think of a whole lot of CG that happened. Like, even the mom floating up into the house, like, that seemed like a practical effect. You, um... I mean, you said it, John. There's a ton of stuff that you you notice each time you rewatch. There's a ton of Easter eggs, little stuff that you'll see. So, this is another movie where if you go to the trivia section of IMDb, there's 121 entries just in trivia alone. <laughs> I have actually, a day out there. I haven't even looked at the the goofs section. Um, Ari Aster doesn't make goofs. There's ten of them. Oh, so any good ones? Revealing mistakes. Nothing, nothing important, nothing worth mentioning, I guess we'll say. So, yeah, I get that. It's, it's always good to go check out for yourself the IMDb page. It's um, There's always a ton of entries, at least for the good ones. How are we looking budget-wise? What? Oh, budget? Yeah, do we have a budget? Do you have any guesses, though, John, while he's loading that up, um, what it was? I think it's probably on the bigger side because it's a, a more modern movie. It, it had the Amazon release. But, but at the same time, though, I also feel like with not a whole lot of CG, I bet you it was maybe on the cheaper side of like a modern movie. I'm going to guess like $48 million. All right. That seems awesome. high. What's your guess? I got to go like $15 million. Sauce is not too far off. It was $10 million. Whoa. 
that is pretty that, that's very cheap by today that's a low budget movie by today's standard and the box office number is 80 million oh so pretty shit. good return quick eight quick eight times that bet right there for ari aster pretty good I, i'm glad that um, had a good budget or a good box office because this movie deserves it in my opinion um can you imagine though though you make one movie and you're up like 70 million dollars like that's insane <laughs> oh, yeah. i don't know how they spread it out but that's that's insane well now now he's got the entire a24 brand like he just like they they're connected like this because of this movie basically where all, anytime you yeah. see an a24 movie come out now it's like they make a lot of modern horror movies usually our um, master has some sort of producing level on it or you know this he intertwined himself and he sort of made this production studio what it is with this movie so it was it was a24's highest grossing film at the time okay and that's when this came out that I'm makes sure sense since been passed by midsummer and others but yep um john i owe you a score for the movie poster yes as well. yep um yep. we described it earlier but if you want to eye it up real quick and tell me what you I've, like i've looked at it i need you to help uh explain what is on like the table that charlie's yes. looking at i can't tell me and sauce had to do the old zoom for this but it is actually it, it appears to be a figurine that charlie made and it has like a paint bottle body and it's praying in like a kneeling formation bent over and like that final scene where they're in the treehouse and the head okay. has been removed the head has been removed from the figurine it kind of looks like a bird a bird head um that's sitting okay. on the table um yeah i mean it's it's all right it's kind of it's kind of confusing, really, if you look at it, and doesn't do too much to explain anything of the movie, which you know is always a good or bad thing, depending. I don't know. I'm gonna give it a very average two point six. All right. <laughs> good I think movie. I gave it a two point yeah, seven. Yeah, Sauce gave it a two right? seven. I gave it a two point zero. It two. <laughs> there we go. It's just so, ugly. Yeah, so. good movie. Same Not a great park. movie poster. It's just ugly. No. Movie. Considering, like we we said earlier, so much happens in the movie, and they kind of let down at the poster so right yep so all right i think that that covers all our bases right fellas i think that's it yeah unless anyone else has any anything else they wanted to kind of wrap up here with no i i just want to say i think this is the best movie the best horror movie i've seen um that happened in the 21st century and i haven't seen anything better than this i don't think yet um, I just, I just really like how, like you said, Chris, like this is the most prepared that like the, a director has ever been. Like Tony Collette said that, like, I just, this whole movie, like the rewatchability of it, like you pick something else new every time. Like, I don't know that to me, that's what makes it great. And, um, I'm super pumped for the new fucking Ari Aster movie coming out next year. I don't know if it'll be better, um, based on its ugly ass movie poster, it'll fall right in line with this one. So, uh, see, that seems to be the only area that dude's lacking yeah. is really shitty movie posters. Yeah. I don't even think he controls that. One? I yeah. think that's A24. John, what, what's the name of the new one? It was some kid's oh, name. Oh, is, is scared. Oh, is scared. Yeah. 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 Just Bo is afraid. Bo is afraid. Bo is afraid. Oh, yeah. Bo is afraid. Yeah. 
And it's got Joaquin Phoenix, who's a GOAT. So I'm pretty stoked for that. Um, what are we watching next week, John? Yeah, so we, we ran a marble race. And um, this is a, a movie that – another new movie, uh, not in 2022, but a 2021 movie that has been coming in second a lot in our races. And it's finally – it's one of the OG marbles uh, that has won. And we will be watching The Black Phone from 2021. I believe it's on streaming everywhere now, if I'm not mistaken. I think you can rent it on Amazon, and it's on either Peacock or Paramount+. Plus. Um, so we'll be watching that next week. Um, that will actually be our first movie review by the time it comes out. will be our first 2023 movie review. So we'll be kicking, we'll be kicking off New Year's with some, uh, with some fucking black phone action um i'm pretty excited to see it um i'm sure you guys haven't seen it before with how new it is right right no another first watch for yeah me. it looks pretty cool i mean i've seen a lot of trailers um for it and it looks like it's got the potential to be pretty good so i'm i'm excited to give it a watch um so yeah we'll be watching that next week anything else we should tell oh follow us on instagram uh, we just posted today Given a recap of everything that we've watched so far um, at the Horror Fiends. If you're listening to us on Spotify, um, Spotify now has a five star rating. So if you like what we're fucking spitting out, um, drop us a five. Um, if you're on Apple Podcasts, of course, leave us a nice review. Um, we're still eagerly waiting. The year's almost over, and Sauce has not shown us his ass on cam. So um, we'll be dropping that to you folks if we get. Uh, we get rated basically on Spotify. Sauce will do a little fucking twerk for us. And uh, we need you to really get on that, folks. Come on. Yes, we do. That's kind of all I got, folks. Uh, anything else before we wrap this one up, fellas? We got, you know, we talked about end of the year, maybe score adjustments or whatever else. Oh, yes. We're, we're going to do something like that, some type of episode soon where maybe it's not necessarily a full-on movie review episode we just kind of talk about the show a little maybe bonus episode maybe a little bonus clip bonus pod. yeah maybe that's a good idea maybe we can talk about some shit on top of that outside of uh scary movies we'll see yeah we'll see make it interesting for any of you guys who want to know about what's going on in our lives we might drop some facts we might tell you our addresses our social securities so if you're trying to rob us you might want to tune into that one um yeah so yeah, that does it, folks. First 5.0 in the books. I'm happy that I'm the one to give it out, not one of these clowns. I'm I'm desperately waiting for these two guys to drop a 5.0. I'm curious when we're going to get one. Um, <laughs> so I bet you this one will probably hold for a little bit, but... Long time. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that... We, not until Hubie gets reviewed. Yeah, Hubie Halloween. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I mean, if that one wins, then obviously, you know, get ready for the, the record board to be shattered. Um. So yeah, new number one movie, folks. Um, go watch Hereditary if you haven't before. Do you guys? Is there anybody you wouldn't recommend this to? Not really. No, it's a very solid horror movie. So I don't think you can go wrong with this no. one. Probably like people who are thirteen and below. You know, I don't think yeah. that's the intended audience. Yeah, maybe like cool. young kids. Yeah. But There's a lot of decapitation. At that point, why are they watching a horror movie like yeah. this? So. This is not. If you don't like decapitations, stay away because there's at least there's at least five, there's a few. including the bird. So yeah, the bird. Yeah, <laughs> almost everyone loses their dome in this one. So if that's not your bag. 
maybe go watch uh, the Black Phone or something else. Texas Chainsaw is very tame compared to this one, in my opinion. So, yeah, of course. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to uh, episode fourteen. Um, we'll catch you guys in the next one. As always, please go fuck yourself.